This is Another Way to See It, a show about perspective. I'm Randy, once lost soul, now on my path to flowing freely and curiously throughout my days, challenging myself daily to not only question the day-to-day moments, but to embrace them, meeting myself right where I'm at and meant to be. Living this way has allowed me to meet others where they are, walking beside them to help navigate some of the hurdles we all face, helping them to be free-flowing on their own journey. Hello, I'm Tracy, a somatic practitioner deeply rooted in the earth while simultaneously stretching towards the heavens, attempting to become a better ancestor each day by committing to well-being for all. I am a steward of healing and initiatory experiences and stay inspired by the capacity for resiliency and expansion in this human form, including soul and spirit. I love helping others along the path each moment, movement, and breath we are gifted. I'm Kim. I aspire to be a spiritual friend, helping you connect with the most authentic parts of who you are while navigating life in the real world and all of its complexities. I have a lifetime of experiences, deep intuitive gifts, and a very unique way of seeing things. I may have my head in the clouds, but my feet are firmly planted in the earth. Every episode, we hope to offer alternative ways of seeing and navigating everyday circumstances, giving you glimpses of possibility, a sense of community, and tools to help you on your journey. I hit the record button. We're recording. We're talking about the unknown, the uncertainty in life, the future, uh, any and all of it. So thanks for tuning in to Another Way to See It podcast. Here we are. Uh, I'm your co-host, Randy, alongside with Tracy and Kim. How are we doing? Great. I'm here. Uh, great. Mm, that might be a stretch for me. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I don't know about great at the moment. Just a lot of things to you know, it's like, I feel like sometimes we start to juggle and then something goes way, way, way up and it's and you're, not, and you bait for it. Yeah. And it's like, I had to keep my eye on that, but like, also I'm in the middle of this, this thing and yeah. And then it plunks you on the head. That's kind of how I feel right now. <laughs> Is, I mean, that kind of ties into a little bit of what we're talking about. Yeah. The, the, the unknown of, of what's next or, or what's coming. And so, uh, this is near and dear to me in this topic. This is something that I love and yet struggle with navigating when, when the uncertainty and the unknown comes up. And for me, it's a lot of like, what's next, you know, as, as my previous self, I always had a plan. I always had all my ducks in a row before I made any kind of moves. And over the last, three years now, I'd say uh, there's been a lot of stuff up in the air that I'm waiting to see how it's going to fall and unfold. And for the most part, it's easy to navigate, uh, removing expectations and and kind of trusting and having faith and and knowing that it's all going to work out. But there are those times where the stress comes, the fear comes, the anxiety comes, and it's like, what do you do in those moments? So I figured we'd come together and kind of kind of jam out on it. Yeah, I think I think for me, there's a couple of things that come up right away. And I think for sure, naming like the evolution of that, there's a part of me 
maybe more egoic piece or young part that needed certainty because there were so many things out of my control that having certainty around some things became uh, like an act of survival. And so then when those things, you know, somehow, some way, loosening my grip on those things felt impossible. Uh, The other thing that kind of comes up for me around this, the more I've, you know, done work with Francis Weller and other elders in community bio, you know, things like that is the ways that we relate to certainty or uncertainty in the dynamics of the culture that we exist in. So I think about times when maybe certainty wasn't as necessary of a feeling to have because we were so certain about what was true for us. So thinking about being in a community where you were certain of your place, you were certain of your value and gift in that place, you were certain of who the elders were and what your community stood for and what the values were and what your relationship was to the earth, so on and so forth. I think that not having those things eats away at what scares us about uncertainty. With If you have a bedrock of those types of things being certain, then what is uncertain? I don't see it being as daunting or as overwhelming. So those were the kind of the two things that came up for me was recognizing my own evolution with certainty and or uncertainty. And then what's been taken from us as a culture, as a society, at least in Western culture and civilization through the industrial revolution that tears at the fabric of our willingness to be okay with uncertainty because we don't have things to rely on. Certainly. That was a lot. (laughs) I'm so glad you wove in that piece because I couldn't agree more with what you presented just then. I read this article. It's called The Uncertain Mind, How the Brain Handles the Unknown. And it's written by Anne Lorray LeCompf. Sorry if I butchered your name there. And she writes, the unknown is synonymous with threats that pose risks to our survival. The more we know, the more we can make accurate predictions and shape our future. The path forward feels more dangerous when we can sense essential gaps in our knowledge. In fact, fear of the unknown has been theorized to be the one fear to rule them all. The fear that gives rise to all other fears, unfamiliar spaces, and potential blind spots make us uncomfortable. This fear makes sense from an evolutionary perspective, but can be unnecessarily nerve-wracking and sometimes paralyzing in our modern world. And I thought that was, you know, pretty accurate description of how people encounter the unknown now, because we don't have those other elements in place, right? And I think the pandemic was kind of the great equalizer in a sense where everyone was afraid for for various reasons, right? For various reasons. It was a wake-up call in that aspect. And 
there were people who sought out certainty, either through science or through whatever, but there were ways that they kind of felt more secure. And it's just interesting to notice that. I do think, and I'd like Tracy to speak to this if you feel called to do so, that the willingness or the ability to sit in the unknown, at least for me, I feel it and I've witnessed it in others, is very closely, I feel, tied to nervous system regulation. Mm-hmm. So if you have a dysregulated nervous system that might be from the past, uh, I think it's harder to lean into that space to rest back into the unknown because everything in your body is literally telling you not to. And for me, I know that I'm much more open when I've had adequate sleep, when I'm not hungry, when I'm not in conflict in relationships in my life or stressed about money or something else. I'm more willing to open up than if all of those things are not really fully in place. Yeah, I there's this interesting piece as as we're naming that. And I just want to say this because not because it hasn't been said before, but being new in this position with you all to the show. I just want to take a little like side minute to talk about regulation and dysregulation and stress the importance of a well-functioning system rather than just a regulated system. Because you bring up such a good point around what it takes from our body when we are not resourced and it pushes us more into dysregulation or an unregulated state. And that then compounds how uh, someone might feel about their, you know, I'm already struggling in this way. I'm already struggling with the uncertainty. And now my system is also dysregulated. So I'm even less capable or have less capacity to. What's fascinating to me as I'm naming this, I think about all the ways that when my life was was catastrophically chaotic day in and day out. I'm talking abusive relationship, you know, not financially stable, having a a child and having to try to figure out how to help him and be for him what he needed when I couldn't even do that for myself. So on and so forth. The, the, the swing that happens is that we come into some state of like hyper control and hyper need for certainty but the truth is, is that it sh- it should, or or if we have the right containment for those things, the the desire to be certain, because when we were all of that was certain chaos, and it left us with a less regulated or a dysregulated system more often. How then, instead of swinging out to I've got to control everything and be certain about everything. Can we learn to relate to the uncertain and regulate our nervous system at the same time? And for me, that looks like walking and living the questions rather than having absolutes or certainties. And that isn't something that is taught or typically modeled for us in our culture. There isn't a lot of spaces to go into that. People are like, what do you want to do in five years? I'm like, 
We'll see when I get there. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing tomorrow. Like <laughs> and- I'm being full serious right now. <laughs> like that is a challenge sometimes. Um, and and I think that there we can there is a loop off of that where we bypass life altogether as well. But just to stay on the topic, how do we learn to go in and out of regulation and dysregulation in the uncertainty? I think that is is really the question. Not what do I need to get back to regulation by clinging or what is certain or what I can control or hold on to, but how can I be just as comfortable in the uncertainty as I am in the perceived certainty? Because back to the first episode of this season, when I said what is beautiful about the unknown is that's the truest thing there is. It's the truest thing. So if it's true, how do I create capacity in my system to notice the conditioning that has ripped me out of my regulation because it's quote unquote scary or quote unquote dangerous or quote unquote whatever to be uncertain. How do I move in a way that creates comfort around that uncertainty so that I can be both regulated? And that to me sounds more like, oh, I can do that. Right. If you're telling me that in uncertainty, I have to be a certain way, I'm like, don't tell me what to do. I'm going to find a way to be in my uncertainty and also be regulated at the same time. I absolutely agree with you. And I had a chance to practice just exactly what you're talking about this weekend. And it was a very interesting process. So I think it's possible. I think that my willingness to explore that, even though everything in my body was amped up and and I was shaking and crying, the ability and the willingness to be in that space has come from this practice of coming back to myself, coming back to myself. And it was really interesting because I wouldn't, I'm not a religious person, but I'm a deeply spiritual person. So interesting to watch progression of prayers, right? A lot of people pray for some sort of resolution, pray for this to be taken away from them, whatever it is. And when I went back into a prayer state and I call on my ancestors, you know, the prayer was different. It wasn't a petition to like alleviate this. Mm. It was walk with me as I go through this. And if there is something to be understood in this process, you know, help me to see that. And just a really different petition than it has been in the past because I wasn't trying to get out of it. I was aware of the heightened state of my nervous system. And even in those moments that seem to happen like this, there is endless amount of time, right? Within, I don't know how the space-time thing works. I'm not a quantum physicist, but like there was a moment where I said, okay, this is what's happening. And what do I want to do with this? And I really want to break that down because obviously this process is different from for everyone. And I'm not a survivor of post-traumatic stress disorder um, or CPTSD. Like I can't speak from that. So 
if I can explain how I think what I'm trying to explain is what you so wonderfully articulated. It's like, I'm not going to regulate my nervous system and get right with this. I'm going to be in it and somehow find ground there. In which case, probably my nervous system will become regulated again. The more experience I have with that builds capacity to have a healthy functioning nervous system, you know, overall. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's the way I'm understanding what you said. Yeah. And like, just what's kind of come through is like the question I typically would ask myself, I I think would be structured somewhere along the lines of like, how can I be well with what is? Yeah. And not be okay with it necessarily, but how can I maintain my well-being with exactly what is? There's this realist in me that comes online. It's like, Any short circuit, uh, my teacher the other day said, when times are troubling, we need to let them be troubling. And I think about that, the energy of troubling or churning or, you know, there's one of the things that happens somatically right away is there's this tremble that happens if things are unknown or scary. And that sensation in most of our bodies is enough to deter us from following the thread. But in my initiatory experiences, staying with the tremble gives me the capacity to stay with the threshold and the threshold, having the capacity with the threshold allows me to go deeper into whatever I'm being initiated to step by step by step. So how do I be well here? Okay. And then how do I be well here? Okay. Right. And then, and however long that, that time takes, it might be three years per step. Two, how can I be well with what is? Yeah, like what I'm, what I'm taking away and and processing is like to be flowing, right? To to flow when the unexpected happens or when the unknown comes ahead, or you know, even in the not knowing, being able to flow and to be okay with and sit with. Uh, you know, especially as a male, you want to be in control. You want to be able to fix and solve and go through all that on top of having past experiences and old stories of how you used to live. And it's a struggle uh, speaking specifically about my struggles is like, Everything's turned out okay. Everything has worked out the way it's supposed to. But in those moments where it does get tight or does get stressful, I find ways to either distract or elevate the anxiety and the stress Mm -hmm. of going down the rabbit hole of like, why I never had this problem before. You know, I used to have plenty of money, you know, blah, 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 whatever it may be. It's, it's when I catch myself to allow to be fluid that when, you know, you take the hits, if you want to call them that, uh, that yes, it might slow you down. It might knock you down, but it doesn't stop you. And you kind of have to make that choice. Do I want to lean into this and get curious about 
okay, why are you so stressed about it? What what's different from this time than last time? You know, and and I, th- I I'm glad Kim brought up the point of like if you're not sleeping well, it it makes it worse. If you're you know burning both ends of the candle, like grinding and you know not eating enough during the day, you know all that has factors that I've learned that come into play that that can throw off that regulation. And so it's like really being honest of like, okay, I need to sit with this and I need to process this, but the old me wants to like just cover it up and think it's going to get all figured out. Yeah, I think a word that's coming through for me around what you're saying is because this is a requirement, whether you're regulated or not in the uncertainty, you also have to have a level of humility and the willingness to be unskilled, to be a beginner, to be new, because if it is uncertain, it isn't something you know. You can't know it or it wouldn't be the uncertain. And so how do I relate to to not knowing as evidence of my goodness or worthiness or value or, and I think in our society, typically the opposite happens because to your point, Randy, there is an urgency in getting it right and knowing because those who know are at the top of the proverbial quote unquote ladder. Those who know are in charge. Those who know are the systems and institutions of oppression. And so then by that being true, everything else is a delineation of that in some way, shape or form is less than wrong, less value, bad, unworthy, et cetera. So it's like uncoupling ourselves from a system that, that says we have to be urgent and we have to be right about it. That's required. And then the humility and willingness to stand in our truth, our value and our worth while not knowing, being unskilled, being a beginner, having um, that worth and value without knowing a thing. Tracy, you say all the things that I'm thinking, so I appreciate that. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to pick up from where you left off there. I think it's very interesting to watch how through this process, especially when we talk about these issues, how how I think about it in a larger cultural context, which is what you just named, right? So it it's really interesting to say, oh, I don't know to a question being posed of you or something like that and watching the other person's reaction. Cause we do live in a society that says like, you must know or figure something out. Right. And, and can I add real, just add in there real quick, you have to know, or it can cost you your life. That too. Right? To, to, to just add to that, if we're going to speak to, you know, a little bit on privilege and oppression and all of those other things that to not know in some dynamics could cost a body their existence, their life, their livelihood, et cetera. I didn't want to interrupt your no, no. flow of thought there, but just to emphasize too how much 
there is at stake in not knowing. So I don't want to be flagrant with saying, just uncouple yourself from the systems of oppression. It's easy to do, right? And living in a white body. So I want to just name that as well. (laughs) I think when we talk about trying to build community or obviously we have a podcast, so we're hoping that someone hears this and we're trying to build capacity in a larger cultural context for getting comfortable or acknowledging what I would call the collective lie, which is mm-hmm. that there is that there is no unknowable, right? As humans, we have the capacity to think our way out of everything and to know things and to research and to dissect. And that is really not true. We can know things, but do we know, you know, what do we know about all of those things? I don't know. It feels to me like the more I learn about different things, the more I learn about myself, I want to share a language with people. There's not a wide net of receivers, if that makes any sense. But I can say like, I don't know. It makes people so uncomfortable that I don't know. So if I don't know, there's something in them that's like, well, I also don't know, but I don't like that. So I know I'm uncomfortable. We're both sitting there like, you know, I think it's important to talk about these things. And the more I think about different things and the more I kind of push them through me and then out, I just realized that there's a lot of undoing that has to be done, unraveling, like you said, untethering ourselves from systems. Yeah, I think think touching on that community and, and conversation piece is like something that I noticed a shift in myself and I'm so thankful for it now because it, it allows um, so much more to come through me as far as processing is when I I have a, a select few people that I, I can call and, and talk to without them wanting to fix. Mm. Right. Just to hold that space of like, this just isn't going right. Or, you know, this is what I'm struggling with. And like, I have those people and uh, Kim gets, Kim gets a lot of it of, of like, Hey, you got a minute. I just need a sport bitch here. I just need to, I just need to unload here. And it, we're at such a place. And I love this about, about our relationship, Kim is, is it doesn't even have to ask like, what do you need from me right now? It's like, when it when it starts happening, we just we just know what what to do and how to navigate it with each other, and it, it, it's such a uh, amazing spot to have. But the old me would want to look for like their their input or what they would think to fix or solve. And and now that I have these these certain relationships that allow me to to almost process with them, and sometimes they don't even have to say anything. I could literally unload. And then it, I get clarity just from unloading instead of being in my head. Because as as much work as I've done, when when I'm in my head, I can navigate it. But if it stays there, that's when the old stories still come up, that old narrative, and that that's where it almost you can get you can go down that rabbit hole. And so to have that community and to have those conversations, I think is is opening the doorway. To not necessarily a solution, but to just allow it to air out. You know, it's like it's like if you're in a smoke-filled room, just open the door and and let it come out. 
to see then to see what you're dealing with and and, and to roll with it. So I, I think it's so important to have those conversations. And you know, speaking and something I'm trying to lean into is is really the 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 sight of men is a lot of men don't have those spaces. They don't have those friends that they could be serious and open and truthful with. It's 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 not always about sports or money or, you know, hobbies. Like, you know, let let's get down to the nitty-gritty of like, you know, what's something that's weighing heavy on you? You know, like to have that space. Um and I've got to experience not only on, you know, me searching for that, but finding people that were searching and needing that and so i I think it's so important to have um but it's it's difficult for people to really lean into the the vulnerability of it i think there's also the knowing ourselves well something i hope we'll talk about on another episode is the cybam model which is a a model of um, intelligences within the body and Typically in this culture, we're really good at like the narrative, the meaning making. We can tell ourselves the story of what's happening or who we are as a result, or this is how I feel. So that means X, Y, Z thing. But there's also so much more to us individually as well. So it's in the process of relating to other, having that mirrored or reflected back of all the other things we also are that there is sensation in our body i've I've sat with clients where i'm like so this is the story you're telling yourself what is the sensation that you notice and the sensation that they notice actually is closer to like relief or neutrality or whatever not matching the story at all but when that that meaning making is really honed in or um an over sometimes developed channel of of information within us it it can um keep us dialed into that set of information versus checking the rest what else lives in the body right now so letting the smoke out of the room getting curious about what the smoke is simultaneously so you have that that door to open when you connect with a friend but then staying curious about what was the smoke what's the story about the smoke and then what else is there as far as sensations, images, behaviors, what is alive in my body? What is intuitive in my body? What is um, wise in my body that also exists here simultaneously while this other thing is the story I'm, I'm talking about too. So it's, I think that there's a both and in that needing safe spaces to be held, but then also whether it's through the mirroring or reflection of another person, but also pointing back to those other parts of ourself that we might not have as much, you know, it could be an underdeveloped intelligence within the body just because we are, we haven't used it very often. We're not skilled at a particular thing. So being more skilled at how uncertainty uncertainty actually is in the body can be another way that we come back into a more regulated space. And that that's even scary for individuals, like you said, that that don't know what that's like. Mm-hmm. Oh, you I know, sit that, with people, I'm like, well, you know, how do you notice like, that in your body? And they say, I have a body, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that are just starting out and not having a clue that there's anything below the the thinker. 
mm-hmm. that has any information or wisdom or intelligence too. Yeah. Something else that came up for me was how expectation plays a role in um, your your ability or willingness to be okay in the unknown or to accept that that's a reality or how you sit with it, I guess. Um, and this phrase, expectation is the thief of presence and possibility uh, came to me. I know it, that that phrase is used for something else, but I can't think of it right now. But it, expectation, because I think unknown can be in the present or the future, but expectation is always kind of tied to a future based on a past, right? So mm-hmm. what I notice in myself is the moments that I become aware of the unknown are present moments. They're present moments. And if I have expectations, I'm not in the present moment. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how will I be? How will I you know, do that? Or if I voice my expectation to someone else, how I change myself in order to meet the expectation or how someone else changes themselves in order to meet my expectation that I've spoken. And we're human, so we have expectations. But for me, this topic brought up this idea of like, how do my expectations stand in the way of possibility? Um, and then if there's a sorry if there's a part of us that's responsible for expectations in order to keep us from feeling the discomfort of uncertainty how hooked might we get with expectations unnecessarily right if there's a part of my system that goes oh Every time we do expectations, we don't have to feel the discomfort of uncertainty. So what can we be more expectant of today? And then it just crosses its little arms and sits down and starts to, you know, think about how else it could be, you know, useful (laughs) instead of in the way that's towards being comfortable with uncertainty. Well, it it makes me curious how close the setting expectations and fear work together. And what we're talking about here, because, you know, with the unknown, it's that uncertainty and coming to mind right now is the ego then doesn't know. So it wants to control and which I feel will cause you to set expectations because off going off past experiences or bring on fear to make you stay where you are to not see what's at the unknown. So I mean, it, it's how close knit are are they in, in in trying to live with the unknown? I think as protection mechanisms, there's probably a total enmeshment. You know, from from the IFS standpoint, all of those protectors work in cahoots, and as soon as you get one to back off, the other one's like, "Yeah, you can go ahead and back off. I'm tapping in." And then there's like this exchange of protection mechanisms keeping us from what feels uncomfortable because particularly in the way that we are raised is that discomfort automatically means unsafe. Mm -hmm. 
And so anything that feels uncomfortable, we automatically deem unsafe. And then the protection mechanism has a reason to save our lives. What's fascinating to me about that, though, is that if we love ourselves more, we're basically answering, it's the antidote to the protection mechanism, because the protection mechanism was only coming up because it loves us. It is trying to keep us safe. We are worthy of saving. And so if the answer is not, this part of me is being belligerent or bad or whatever, and I come in with more love for myself, which, yes, it is a learned thing. It has to be something that you you are unskilled at at first as well, then it typically helps those protection mechanisms settle ever so slightly. So then we have a greater bandwidth for the uncertainty. I think it's, it's hard to have a framework for it because it's such a subject. I mean, every experience is subjective because it's ours, but mm-hmm. it's such an individual, you know, it's hard to say these are the five steps you do gag of, of how to be on uh, more comfortable in what's uncertain. And I could rattle off a hundred things that work for me, but the truth is I'm sitting here. I'm like, how did I get so comfortable not knowing? No idea because it was a compilation of hundreds of things, maybe thousands of things that have occurred over the time that creates, um, room for there be to be a spontaneous shift in response to what's happening for us as well. Really interesting. And this is a long way to get there, but I was noticing in conversation ways that people shut down openings. Mm-hmm. So some sometimes saying like, oh, I hate that. So now I have two choices. I can agree with you or I can disagree with you. And that is a little bit tricky because we might end up fighting. And when I say this is a long way around, I think if someone hears this conversation and is interested and would like to start to work with the unknown or getting more comfortable with it, I noticed that there are, we know this, we're all coaches, right? Questions that open and invite and questions that shut down. And I think conversationally, relationally, linguistically, to become aware of the things that are closing doors and things that are opening doors. Because when you open doors, like you don't know. So person I was speaking with said, I hate that. And I was thinking, wow, that just closed that conversation. So what would I have said to invite a bigger dialogue about this? And I might have an opinion, but I might say something like, what do you think about this? And why do you think, you know, the way that you do? Now we have an opening. I don't know where it's going to go. I did know the other way, but I I don't know if I asked a really open-ended question and I'm willing to hear all the reasons why they hate it, right? And there are past experiences and what got them to this place. Hopefully they would ask me and then we start something even bigger. Um, but it just, it just is such a pervasive thing in our culture to make a declaration and either look for allies or enemies. Mm-hmm. And now we know where we stand. So, oh my gosh, okay. I know I'm on this side of the line and you're on that. Like there is no unknown there. 
can we come to a place where we open to possibilities that we didn't even know existed? Mm-hmm. Robin D'Angelo talks about that in White Fragility and how not whether something is true or false, but how does the response to it function in conversation? That's the way she puts it, right? Not if something is right or wrong, or I like it or I don't like it, but how does that function in the conversation to end something, to sever something, or to open something. So I think that's a huge, you know, insight into how we can approach things, how we can relate better, how can we create more expansion than contraction. And and it is, it's being, you know, having more curiosity as to how and why people come <laughs> to their own. Randy just did a little dance for the listeners. That's why I chuckled mid-sentence. <laughs> um, you know, but but how what is the function of this conversation and how can I approach it in a way that keeps it blossoming throughout or or maybe detouring throughout or t- tangents throughout, you know, so that there is more connection rather than less. And also, I would say that, you know, I throughout the day say I like this or I don't like that. And I'm noting personal tastes of mine. If I'm aware in that moment, I can say, oh, that's interesting. Why do you like that to myself? Right. Or Mm -hmm. why is this enjoyable to you? Or why is this uncomfortable to you? So it's not even practicing with someone else. It's like practicing with yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what, say, what can we do to to bring more warmth, more connectivity to ourselves and then by way to others? Go ahead, Randy. Sorry. Uh, I was just I, me answering that question. Curiosity. I mean, you, you really just I, I get excited. I that's I love talking about it. I love mentioning it because um, it's gotten me to where I am today and, and I wouldn't change it. Um, definitely. It's opened up doors not only physically but emotionally you know mentally to really lean into okay well why did you act like this why did you do this you know that that internal dialogue uh without curiosity i wouldn't i wouldn't have done it interesting when you said curiosity and the first word i heard was curiosity killed the cat so automatically we're set up to not ask a lot of questions right Mm -hmm. Well, that that's going down a tangent that that is not. How do you oppress in a society? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's. I've actually battled with like, how can I reframe that or tie that to something positive? And and I I go back to like, the cat's got nine lives, so he just learns from it and and carries on, you know. But after that nine lives, does he does he come back as another cat again and has nine more lives? Like, yeah, I don't know. So um, it's funny you brought that up because I, I do question that that a lot. A lot. But um, something that, that I found during brainstorming on, on topics within the uncomfortable, I came across this quote, and I think it's a good way to end. It's an open invitation for, for our listeners to sit with as well as, as well as us, but it's, it's a quote by Esmeralda Santiago and it's, how can you know what you're capable of if you don't embrace the unknown? So what comes up for you 
uh me just reading it i just want to be like oh i need to i need to go sit down i <laughs> i need some quiet space to to sit with that uh because i sat with it earlier and it's it's even shifted a little bit now after rereading it so it's, it's pretty interesting I, I i like that quote in question i think it i think it i think something we would lose if we weren't in situations of the unknown that would be devastating to us is awe and reverence i think we sit in awe of the unknown just as often as or we can maybe sit in awe of the unknown as much as we sit in discomfort of the unknown we're just you know biased towards negativity the way our brains are wired right we have a negativity bias so i i think when you said that how can we know who we are i mean pondering my existence at the shore while I'm watching the sunset or staring at stars and thinking there can't actually be that many, right? Or sitting in in space with somebody as they transform themselves or have a moment of aha that like everything shifts on a dime. If we if we didn't make room for the unknown, that that reverence and awe would uh not be available to us. I'm noticing that I tend to come to these things through a kind of negative door, hoping to get someplace more positive. So when I say this, I guess I think that I see it in pictures. So it's like erasing the lines of the box that we live in, erasing the titles and the labels if we want to touch our soul, right, and to have that express itself, there's a risk in losing all the things that we thought that we were and all the things that people expected us to be. And until we're willing to sort of scribble with the eraser, we might never know exactly who we are. And I don't even think that for some of us, there's language to express what is going on in our soul or a job description or a job title for that. And that does feel very scary. It also feels kind of boring to me. And maybe that's because of where I am. I don't want to say all people are there, but if we just took a minute and knew everything, like, what's the point? I would be so mm -hmm. bored if I knew all of the things. I think that's probably what makes it more comfortable for me to walk in the questions because it 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 makes it worth it. It makes me come alive. It makes me go, there's still something left here to learn, to see, to watch, to, you know, evolve into, to to be a part of. And if it was all figured out, send some AI guys in. Well, there there wouldn't be a journey. Right there, there wouldn't be a journey if you knew everything at the end, you know, because then you wouldn't go on the journey. So I completely agree. I think I think the beauty is in the unknown, and that's what is the purpose of life. I want to just say one more thing before we end, and I know it's going to go on and on, but I think we're talking a lot about individuals. I I'm really feeling the collective dream. If we don't lean into the unknown, we stop creating, we stop dreaming. And when that happens, we just end 
because we can't survive without the collective dream and the collective creation. So we have to be willing to stretch into that space. But to continue on as a human species, we have to keep reaching into the unknown. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> agreed, agreed. I think that's a great spot to to end on. Because uh, if not, we're just going to, like we end on every episode, we could just keep going. As always, if you're a first-time listener, thank you. Please like, share, subscribe, follow all the things if it resonates with you. But once again, you know, we'd like to hear hear feedback. We'd like to know what your thoughts are in, in any topics that you want to bring forward. So it's out there. All our info is in the show notes as always. And thanks for tuning in. Bye. 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 <laughs> If you like this episode, please be sure to like it, share it, and write a brief review. If you want to support us in our efforts to grow this show, you can become a sponsor by following the link in our show notes. Please reach out through our IG page with show ideas and topics.